0: Okay, so good afternoon and welcome you to another Aja discussion of the course Environmental Psychology. Okay, so how's it going, everyone? I hope that all of you as well, and your physical and mental health are both okay. So, moving forward, we'll be discussing the theories that uh, could link the human behavior and the environment. So once again, take note, these are only theories. Theories are just, let's say, um, assumptions or not yet proven, and it is solely subjected in terms of debunk, opposing, okay, and then the likes. So in this pocket, we have 13 theories that we're going to explain. And this pocket is very important because you can use this in uh, explaining and describing human behavior that could affect a uh, resounding environmental issues right now. Okay, so let's start. The first one is the geographical determinism. Geographical determinism was a uh, dominant school of thought until the Second World War and present the point of view that actually human action is determined by the physical environment. And if you're going to notice, okay, um, this theory asserts that human history, culture, society and lifestyle develop, development or etc., are shaped by their physical environment so if we're going to put that in another word geographical determinism understands human social action as a response to the natural environment so our lifestyle our behavior and then the likes are solely dependent with the environment and if you're going to notice it is very evident And again we experience it okay did the evolution or did the changes of human action that could be linked in the changes in the environment let's say for example um the usage of air conditioned or the ac okay now we're we're doing that a lot of people is using that because of climate change okay but way back before our ancestors or let's say our grandparents are not using air-conditioned. But right now, we need to use this because it is very hot, and, and there is, you know, a resounding or vast change in terms of our climate. Okay? Right now, um, Christmas season is not that cold. And then the likes. And during summer, it's it's so hot, it's very hot, unlike before. Okay? Another change is... Um, the rivers. Mm-hmm. Way back before, the rivers and the seas here in the Philippines, they are so clean, especially in Bataan. I still remember during uh, floods, you're able to witness turtles, fishes, okay? And then they're going to go to your house because, of, of course, it's flooding. But right now, when we experience flood, okay, we're able to witness also a lot of what? Garbages, diapers, okay, sachets so of, uh, let's say, soap, shampoo, and then the likes. Okay, so as a result, what is the human action? There is a decrease in terms of what? Fishing. And many, many uh, fishermen before. Where we're able to change their profession or their job. Because, of course, if you're going to go to the river and the seas, there's, a, there's a, uh, let's say, extinction in, in the marine life with the fishes. And our water right now is, let's say, very polluted that you can afford to eat, okay, the fishes and other marine lives in the seas and rivers. And it's probably one of a vast change. And the change probably is not constructive. It's detrimental. Before, I still remember when I was a kid, um, every household here in, in Wawa Pilar, we have this, um, you know, um, bangka or small boat with katig and then the motor. Okay, because uh, that's the primary source of income. But right now, they are just very few. That is because you, you cannot, let's say, find a lot of um, marine life to be sold in the market. Because the rivers and at the same time the seas are, let's say, very polluted. Okay, So it compels them, the human action, to look for another source of income or another job. Okay, So that's geographical determinism. And there's a lot of, let's say, issues about this. And whenever you go to another place, okay, geographical determinism is always present. So in the module, Point B, 1962, theorized that environment, specifically topography, climate, vegetation, and availability of water, presents challenges to its inhabitants. Extreme environmental challenge leads to the destruction of a civilization, whereas too little challenges leads to stagnation of culture. Okay? So right now we're not longer experiencing, let's say, stagnation of culture, but rather what? Extreme challenge to what? Okay? Extreme challenge that leads to the destruction of a civilization. And it is because of geographical determinism. Way back before, there's a lot of, let's say, free flow, okay, in, in, in every barangay. And the water is very clean, okay? You can drink it. But right now, you're able to experience, let's say, diarrhea. And there's, of, of course, wala ng masyadong mga ano, free flow, right? kasi medyo there's a changes okay yung, yung extension ng ng water or or clean water so right now what is our human action we are what okay right now yung yung safe na water for drinking is what subjected in terms of payment okay so there's a per gallon diba per let's say bottle and then so on and so forth for you to afford a, let's say, a clean water, a water that is safe for drinking. But way back before, it is not. It is for free. You're just going to go to the GRIPO or free flow, and then that's it. But right now, it's no longer available. And right now, there's a lot of extreme environmental uh, challenge, okay, or challenges that, of course, lead to the destruction of a civilization. That if you're going to trim it down okay the cause is of course the humans we're the one who's uh, let's say navigating or changing the, the environment okay it is in a way it is because of us and then it affects the environment and the environment experiences let's say a lot of change and in return it affects our what action and behavior and then another. Proponent here, in the name of uh, Berry, Child, and Bacon, have suggested that agricultural, non nomadic culture seems to emphasize responsibility, obedience, and compliance in child rearing practices, whereas nomadic cultures often emphasize independence and resourcefulness. These differences, they suggest, resort from the fact that people who live and work together and organized non-mobile communities require more structured organization and therefore stress the importance of obedience and compliance. So here, um, two uh, cultures uh, were being compared. The um, agricultural non-nomadic cultures, okay, and then the nomadic Cultures. Okay. Of course, when we talk about uh, nomadic culture or people, there are, let's say, communities who move from one place to another, okay, rather than settling permanently in one location, which is, of course, totally different from non nomadic culture. And being nomadic and non nomadic probably had something to do with what? With? So here, in this um, paragraph of the module, it states that um, the um, characteristics of the nomads, such as uh, being independent and um, resourcefulness, are stemmed and inculcated by nomads in preparation to meet the changing and unpredictable demands of an environmental confronted, okay, by a roaming people. Thus, the argument goes, the environment sets the stage for the development of cultures having the best chance of surviving it. So, in terms of let's say um, geographical determinism, okay, the changes in our environment and our action as dependent to the uh, Changes or the geographical uh, determinism. Okay, the nomads has let's say a more chance to survive in terms of these changes because of their characteristic. They are let's say independent and at the same time resourceful, unlike with the non-nomad, which emphasizes the characteristic of uh, being responsible and obedience or compliance okay, and in child-rearing practices. So the nomads, let's say, are more adaptive, okay, they are more, let's say, flexible, and they can adapt to changes simply because they are nomads and they are living from, let's say, different places to one another. So therefore, it's easy for them to be habituated in terms of changes, unlike with people who stick in a particular area, was well, not that, you know, um, flexible in terms of changes. So the nomads has, let's say, more chance of survival or adapting to um, any changes in the environment or geographical determinism. Next is the ecological theories. Now, this uh, theory is concerned with biological and sociological in- interdependence. Between uh, organism and their um, environment. Okay, so we have an example uh, theory here under the ecological, which is the bioecological model of development by Bronfenbrenner. So this theory can be let's say attributed also to uh, developmental psychology theories of personality. That tends to explain the effect of, let's say, the environment to so the individual, or the effect of, let's say, human behavior in the environment. So once again, it's very interactive. Broven um, Brenners proposed five okay systems, but here we're just going to apply the uh, four systems, namely the ma- micro. Meso, exo, and macro. The, the last one is chrono. So we're not going to apply chrono here because chrono is more on the history, okay, which is in a way um, connected, but it, it's very far. So let's just focus on this three or four rather, which has a uh, resounding effect, okay, to the human behavior environment and vice versa. So, microsystem from the word itself, micro, okay, these are part of the environment that has a direct effect to the individual, okay? So, they are the family, friends, school, or immediate um, surroundings, okay? So, these are, of course, people in the environment, okay, that is also affected by environment. And then these people is, of course, has an effect with you, okay? Of course, this is a no-brainer explanation. Your family, your friends, school can affect your, your perception, your moods, your feelings, your early recollections, and then the likes. Another one is the mesosystem. Mesosystem is the second layer of his theory that, of course, or the surrounding that encompassing the different interactions between the characteristic of the microsystem. As it just only says that the interaction of your family friends school or um immediate surroundings okay has also another effect with you unlike with the micro let's say family to the person friends to the person school to the person or individual but in the meso system let's say for example uh, family and friends okay interaction has an effect with the individual or friends school classmates interaction has let's say another effect or different effect to the individual and then so on and so forth. Another one is the ecosystem. Ecosystem is the third layer and contains elements of the microsystem which do not affect the individual directly but may do so indirectly. Let's say for example um, your parent is working in a company and the boss in that company, okay, was let's say able to. So again, let's repeat the example. So let's say, for example, your mother is working in a company, and of course, your mother has a boss, and your boss probably uh, get angry with your mother. Okay, so you're not able to let's say see or encounter the boss of your mother in the flesh, but in a way, it has. And let's say effect to you, okay? So let's say your mother is consumed by the anger of the boss and then your your mother will, will get home and then will displace, okay the anger of the boss to you. So in a way, your um emotional state or your feeling or your mood during the time is also affected. But we're going to notice, okay the the root cause is the boss but you're not able to encounter the boss but in a way it affects you so that's the ecosystem okay you're not able to interact with that okay directly but it has an effect to you as well and if we are going to notice the boss of your let's say mother could be affected also by the environment okay Maybe the, the anger is triggered by traffic or, let's say, by the rain okay, or noise pollution and then so on and so forth, okay? So, the, the direction or, let's say, the, um, the encounter in the flesh between you and the boss is very far, but there is an effect, okay? And then the last one is the macro system. So macro comes from the Greek or uh, large, and it's used because this system was thought to be all-encompassing. It covers the culture, societal beliefs, and programming that influence an individual's development. So in the macro system, it's a, a more on large context, such as the government, the political system, the uh, health System, the social media, and then the likes, and these macro system, part of the macro system, once again can be affected by the environment, environmental issues or environmental change or changes that could, in a way, affect the growth and development of the individual. So, this according to Brofenbrenner's, okay, are very imperative so that. Uh, we're, we're, we're able to be aware of how the small scale of the environment and the large scale of the environment can affect us, especially in our growth, development, and our lifetime. Now, another behaviorist or another theory here is the behaviorist perspective. So... In behaviorist perspective, it says that environmental context of the behavior and person variables, okay, leads to more accurate predictions of behavior than does the measurement of either alone. So it says that, what, the personality, dispositions, and attitudes can predict our, what, our next behavior, okay. And that is true as well with other current theories of environmental behavior. So we have the sample theory below. But before we discuss the justice psychology, let's just elaborate the behaviorist perspective. In behavior, uh, behaviorist perspective, or in behavioral theories, okay, your behavior can be predicted, okay, by uh, let's say internal factors. Let's say, for example, how will you know? that the individual will engage consistently with race segregation. How are you going to predict that? By the following. The personality, disposition, attitudes, and the like. If the personality of the individual is, let's say, into cleanliness and uh, more into environmental, let's say, conservation, in a way, he will be consistent with it and also with his dispositions. Now. If his attitude is more on, you know, supporting the environment by doing waste segregation, then there's a high probability that he will be consistent with waste segregation. So, consolidating this, the personality disposition, attitudes, perception, and many more, moods, feelings, and many more, could predict to what? To the next behavior of the individual. Now. Let's move with uh, just psychology. Just thought psychology also is what? Give more importance to covert thoughts such as perception and cognition than with overt behavior. So just thought is, let's say, holistic. That's why its main principle is what? The whole is um, greater than the sum of its part. So for us, in a way, to, you know, to know or to predict What will be the behavior or what will be, let's say, the action of the individual to the environment will depend on the holistic consolidation of human behavior, such as what? Or mental processes, such as what? Perception, cognition, okay? With overt behavior, okay? So, of course, first you're going to perceive it, and then you're going to process it, and then we have the overt behavior. So, what do we mean by overt behavior? Obert behavior, these are actions okay, that can be seen in, in public or can be seen by other people. According to Gestalt, thought also that the stimulus is not important. Rather, the way you perceive the stimulus is what matters. This theory heavily influenced some of the concepts in environmental psychology, such as Environmental perception and processing of environmental information. Now, if you're going to notice, there are some people who's into environmental conservation. Are you familiar with uh, Leonardo DiCaprio? Okay, and at the same time, uh, Anthony Toss, uh, Gina Lopez, and then the likes. If we're going to notice them, they are very, let's say, has this affinity with the environment, but in the other end of X spectrum, there's also a lot of people who's not, let's say, do not care about the environment. So what is the difference between them? Of course, it is something to do with what? Perception, attitude, and cognition. That in a way, this is a key factor that could lead us to the understanding of behavioral or environmental perception of the individual. Arousal theories, number four, these theories have been concerned with the influence of arousal on the performance. Now, if we're going to notice, you're able to experience arousal because of internal and external, let's say, stimulus. Internal stimulus, such as, let's say, for example, hunger, okay, the desire for, let's say, sex, to urinate, and then so on and so forth. Of course, aside from that, we have the external stimulus that could trigger arousal, such as what? The noise, pollution, or everything that will be sensed by our what? Five senses. Okay, that's sensation. Okay? And then generally, it refers to us as the Yerkes-Dodson Law or inverted U relationship. Now, this is an old law, but of course, this is a law, and whether it is very old, it is also very evident right now, okay? It says that performance is maximized at intermediate levels of arousal, but falls up as arousal is either increased or decreased. So, what does it mean? Now, in, in other words, okay, we can expound this by um, the suggestion that Um, optimal performance occurs at an intermediate, let's say, level of arousal while both low and high levels of arousal will result in impaired performance. Now, uh, let's have an example. Uh, Anxiety. okay? High or low anxiety will not lead you to a great performance. Am I correct? Okay, little anxiety will not help you or will not compel you to work. High anxiety will not also benefit you because you will be able to experience a lot of, uh, let's say, pressure, stress that will lead you not to perform well. But a moderate level of anxiety or stress will help you what to perform better. Okay, so that's the inverted U hypothesis. As I have said, okay, our body is, of, of course, we'll, our body is subjected in terms of arousal and we're able to experience arousal because of the stimulus in the environment. Okay, name it, a lot of, let's say, stimulus in the environment. And of course, okay, moderate level of arousal from the environment, let's say, is beneficial. But too much, it is not. Okay, can you follow? That's why. Uh, last time, Diva, I'm able to set this one as an example: Yung mga sa board exam. Those, let's say, top performers in the board exam, the trend right now is there uh, from the provinces, because if we're going to, to go to the provinces, there's, let's say, external stimulus that could arouse you. There's also, let's say, destruction, and then so on and so forth. But that is, let's say, moderate compared to the city, okay? The, the, the destruction here is, let's say, or the stimulus here in the province, let's say, is not that severe or not that, let's say, um, super tahimic in a way. It, it's a balance of both, let's say, destruction and at the same time, um, uh, tranquility or peace. Okay? So, those stimulus, external stimulus it, that can be triggered by the environment, okay? is um, moderate in moderate levels and this could affect you to have a performance but in a way a good performance if you are in a province but of course if you're in manila which has you know a lot of extraneous variables a lot of let's say distractions we will not able to lead you in a proper let's say performance or optimized performance because of too much distraction. And that is, of course, the law of human. Okay, too much or too little is not okay. It should be always in the moderate level. So uh, same goes with arousal. So here you can see in the number four the factors influence the human's arousal level. So just read it: temperature, personal space, noise. Okay, for for physiological response. Okay, we have uh, enumerated enumerated some um, factors here. Okay, so where be what triggered by temperature? Okay, we we'll have the blood vessel, lower blood pressure, delayed onset and shorter duration of um, myoartertition for males exposure to uh, noise, okay, and then the lights. In a way, I know you experienced this, right? Um, I still remember I have my class in an open area. And there are four-year students, and they're around, let's say, um, 60 or 70 graduating students. And I have this um, competency enhancement course where I'm able to review them for the board exam. Now, if we're going to notice, we're in an open area. Are you familiar with the canteen, the canteen right now in 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 Balanga campus? There, the, the area there at the back of education building. I just probably set up some chairs and at the same time I have my microphone and then we have desk and then that's it. We're having a class for 6 hours. Imagine that. And imagine the temperature, okay? The the denoise, the personal space, it's actually on the extreme. And then, of course, because of that, your your body is very, you know, aroused. So, what are the effects? There's a, let's say, blood pressure, a lot of perspiration, okay? Uh, Let's say, um, different changes to the body that are not good because of, you know, uh, being exposed to too much arousal. Again, it should be in the moderate, Level. The next one is the interactionist approaches. So much has been said about the interactionist approaches or approach. Okay, we discussed this also as one of the uh, domains. Okay, it refers typically to an interactionist rational of um, individual environment relations. So interactionists agree that a person's behavior as determined by the uh, situation, but at the same time, they also assert that the situation itself is largely determined by the person. Okay, let's say for example, um, the people from China, okay? The Wu Wan, okay? Now, if we're going to go to Wu Wan, okay, way back in their history or in the history of China, in in general, okay, there came a time that their population is booming and um, they cannot find, okay, the right amount of food, okay, in the environment, okay, or with the livestock or with the plants. So what they did, okay, as a community, they're able to acquire or to eat wildlife animals, okay, such as bats, such as, um, let's say, crocodiles, okay, such as, let's say, dogs, such as, let's say, um, animals in the wild in general, name it, okay. When you go to China, for them, it's just a norm. It's just a normal part, okay, of their culture because that's part of their history and it becomes uh, let's say, normal. It normalizes their, their uh, action and then behavior. Okay? So, with that kind of behavior, it leads us to many, let's say, viruses. Okay? Because if you're going to eat them, make sure that they are clean. Okay? They are, let's say, sanitized very well before you consume because if it is not in a way you can acquire diseases or viruses that's why according to some experts okay um that's the origin or the inception of covid 19. okay so okay so you see the interaction so there is no food in the environment okay no sufficient food in the environment So the people tend to look for another alternative, which is the uh, wildlife, animals, and then consume it. And then they're able to be, let's say, um, experience the, uh, or able to acquire viruses that leads to COVID-19, okay? And it it becomes, let's say, contagious, okay? And the pandemic, okay, the, the pandemic, this pandemic also affects the environment, Okay, and the effect in the environment is quite let's say good, but also it also has let's say harmful effects. The good effects are let's say the trees, okay, or um, let's say there's a uh, less cutting of trees, okay. The seas and rivers right now are more let's say at peace. There's no uh, tourists or less tourists that leads to you know. Uh, decrease in terms of pollution Okay And there's also a picture in Facebook That you can see the buildings in Manila From Mariveles because of you know A decrease in terms of smoke Or the pollution So there, there's probably CDD interaction Another example would be The uh, um, river When we throw garbages in the river of course, if you're not able to proper or properly segregate through your waste, okay, the, the best uh, thing for you to do, especially if you're tamad, is just to throw your garbages in the river, okay? And then what is the interaction? During the floods, okay, or during, let's say, Undoi, or um, a super typhoon, okay, we're going to experience flood, and the garbages that we throw in the river will. Uh, get back to to us, okay, and then the lights, so there's interaction with with the environment and the human, okay that the environment can influence us, but one way or another, we can also uh, influence the environment, so of course, for the interaction, it needs uh, two to tango, and in that case, okay the the human and the environment so I know you're familiar with the saying, na kung ano itinanimo, yun din yung aanihin mo. So it goes with us. If we're able to um, have this uh, negative effect or inflict negative behavior that will destroy in the environment, one way or another, it will get back to us. And of course, if you, let's say, put up positive and affirmative behaviors toward the environment, of course, that will be beneficial to us in return. The next one is the affordance theory. This is one of my uh, favorite theories in environmental psychology. From the word itself, affordances. Okay, He viewed affordances as ecological resources from a functional point of view. When we talk about functional point of view, and it's something to do with utilization, the uses, the purposes. He strongly believed that functions and utilization are more important than aesthetics and designs. They're an objectively specifiable and psychologically meaningful taxonomy of the environment. Our environment is subjected to manipulation and changes. We should use it according to our needs, interests, values, and aspirations. One thing that really saddens me is The increase of, you know, farming land converted into subdivisions and business sites. Okay? And because of that, because of that, we're able to build a lot of aesthetics. A lot of, let's say, uh, good places for tourists, for social media, for selfies, you know, for occasions, and then the likes. One thing's for sure. Is it really for use for, let's say, good benefits or just for leisure? We converted a lot of, let's say, uh, hidden areas, okay, and converted it with, let's say, um, malls, okay, theme parks, and then so and so forth, simply just to to make, uh, aesthetics. You know, to to make um good places. Okay, but it's actually part of our need. Can you follow? Let us go back to the, the farm. Okay, way back before we're uh, one of the countries um exporting rice and the rice of course is very sufficient to the country okay because rice is the primary primary food of all the filipinos and we of course um exported it to other countries but right now it's it's a different story because of the rise of let's say many buildings many let's say um theme parks or malls that are sometimes not necessary okay Right now we're importing rice, okay We're the one who's probably able to buy rice in other countries, which is our forty way back before, but right now it it's uh it changed, okay that is because of what advancement, beautification, aesthetics, and then the likes. but according to affordances theory, okay, it should be in their what a set of affordances that is the environment is assessed in terms of what it can do for us okay but of course we can use the environment but we should sustain it and replenish it okay if we're going to use it properly we're going to use it in a way that um in a responsible manner and we're going to use it without destroying the environment, okay. Instead of using artificial aesthetics, okay, and converting a lot of lands into somewhat or things that could just, you know, things that can just, you know, um, lead to the purpose of beauty. Another information is that affordance theory um, states that the world is um, perceived not only in terms of object, okay, shapes, and spatial relationships, but also in terms of object possibilities, or in short, for utilization. So perception drives action. So we have this a visual perception of the environment, but not just that, but also we perceive the utilization of a particular environment and as i have said i've given uh, um, some bunch of examples a while ago okay um, there's a lot of environment okay converted into um or modified into things okay that of course will lead us to another um usage or utilization but Okay, most of them are detrimental. So, if we're going to view the environment, okay, let's view it in a way that we can use it, we can utilize it, okay? But at the same time, it should be for our need and not just for, you know, aesthetics value. Or things that could, in a way, inflict the environment. As I have said way back before, we have the dominion over the environment. We can use it, okay? We can get our needs, we can take advantage of it. But make sure that if we're going to use or to change the environment from one form to another, make sure that that it's sustainable and it will cater to the primary needs of human okay so once again when we talk about um affordance theory we're not just going to see the environment through um let's say visual through shapes through forms through aesthetics but we see the environment through their functions because they have uh, a function or use okay so, the next one is the theories of place, place identity, and place attachment. Um, there is a particular chapter that could explain everything about this. Okay? So, place is a use as a manner of examining the environment and breaking the environment down into conceptual components. It is difficult to examine space in environmental or environment as they are too general. So, it has three aspects. The number one is the um, physical attributes. A person finds himself, such as, let's say, a bedroom, an office, or let's say, a school, a hospital, okay, any um, structural edifice. Next also is the conceptions, place as experiences. So, what are, let's say, your attitudes, your your feelings, okay, your uh, thoughts? okay, your affinity, okay what are your let's say experiences in the uh particular place, and then the last one is human activities, so it's more on actions, it is more on um what did you do okay what are the things let's say that uh you do to that place, okay, what is the function for you okay what is let's say um purpose, uh, function, and the likes. So let's say, for example, you have your bedroom. What are, let's say, your human activities in in, in your bedroom? Of course, you, you watch TV there, you watch Netflix, you sleep there, okay? You uh, probably eat sometimes dinner in your uh, bedroom, okay? And then the likes. In other terms, the place theory Posits that places are viewed as holistic unit or units of activities, the physical form and meaning shaped by the goals and purposes of individuals. Now, the place theory also works in concurrence with place identity and place attachment. So aside from place theory, we have place identity and place attachment. Okay? That in a way, they are connected, but they are totally different from one another. Place identity is a substructure of the self identity of the person, consisting of broadly conceived cognitions about the physical world in which individuals live. Okay, so it has um, types. So, number one is place related distinctiveness. For example, I am a South African. I'm, let's say, um, Singaporean, Korean, Japanese, okay? And then the likes. Place referring continuity edits something to do with your place preference, okay? Why are you living there? What is the reason for staying there, okay? For example, I am living there because it reminds me of my past, okay? I'm living there because it's near to, to my parents or with my friends. Next is we have um, place-related self okay? You are, because uh, you, you, let's say, live in this town because you are, let's say, affiliated or you're able to experience some satisfaction and belongingness in a particular place. The, the great example would be um, the people who's living in New York, okay? Because if you're going to go to New York, people, let's say, is very proud to live there because you can find all the nationalities there. All the big companies are there, okay? Uh, the, the entertainment industry is also there, okay? And then the like. So that's why when they're able to live in New York, they have this, you know, um, high self-esteem that, that connects to the to the self. That whether you do not own the, the New York, but because you live there, you have a sense of, uh, let's say, sense of being proud that I am here. I'm living here. And this is one of the most prominent, let's say, cities in the world. And then the last one is place-related self-efficacy. Okay, so it is connected with... um with your needs, okay, satisfaction of your needs and wants in relation to a particular place. Let's say, for example, Baguio, right, and in Baguio, it's, it's so nice to, to live in Baguio because um, there's a lot of opportunities there for work, okay, the schools and universities are also good, especially if you're going to study psychology in, in SLU, but not just that, but um. Baguio will suffice a lot of wants, okay. Such as, for example, the climate, the scenery, okay, the, the peace of mind. Um, there's also nature, okay, and then the people there is uh, quite, let's say, respectful, okay, and ethical. Okay, so that's it. So place-related distinctiveness, okay, a place that will separate you from um, another individual, such as a uh, region, nationality, place referent continuity, of course, it refers to your um, affinity or emotions to a particular place, okay, your preference. And then a uh, number three, place related self esteem, it's, it's connected or uh, or related to your affiliation. That's connected with your self-esteem. And place-related self-efficacy that is connected with, uh, related to the satisfaction of our needs and wants. Okay? So, the next theory is the theory of land behavior. Um, it started as the theory of reasoned uh, action, okay, before. Okay, and the purpose is to predict an individual's intention to engage in a behavior at a specific time and place. So, the theory intended to explain all behaviors over which people have the ability to exert self control. So, so, our behavior is not just simply behavior, it is based on uh, reasons, okay, and intentions. And usually it is anchored to what to our let's say attitudes, subjective norms, the social norms, values, okay, perceived behavioral control, okay, Uh, your perception, and then the likes. Um, Let's say for example, um, tree planting. Of course, you're not just going to do the tree planting because um, out of let's say. Out of no reasons. But you're going to do that because it is your intention. Intention, so let's say, to increase the number of trees, okay, um, with the purpose of um, eliminate the climate change or with the purpose of helping the, the nature or the government, okay, and then et cetera, et cetera. You're doing that because you have your intentions, you have a purpose. It is, let's say, um, you're certain with it. You think of it, you process it through your, let's say, your brain. And you just probably not do that out of something or no reasons at all. Or let's say, being irrational. So you're a rational person doing something that could lead to a specific behavior. Okay? It could be related to, of course, environment or it could be related to your relationships or to the individual or human actions in general. But since our um, course is environmental psychology, you need to apply that through our what? Okay, the, the course of interaction between human behavior and the environment. Next is the protection motivation theory. This is a theory um that was of course created to help uh, clarify fear, the emotion of fear. But of course, in a way we can uh, put that in the context of environmental psychology. The protection motivation theory proposes that people protect themselves based on four factors. So number one is the perceived severity of a threatening event, the perceived probability of the occurrence, or vulnerability the efficacy of the recommended preventive behavior and the perceived self-efficacy this theory suggests that people are more likely to act pro-environmentally when both threats by an appraisal and a coping appraisal are high okay so once again let's not go uh, too far let's let's relate it with the um with the pandemic which we're experiencing right now, okay? So, because of the fear or fear of pandemic, of course, what we're we going to do? We're not going to go outside. We're gonna wear face mask or face shield so that we're not able to acquire that virus, okay? So the fear is is having the uh, virus. So what will you do, okay? What will be your your um, course of action? Of course, you're going to observe the minimum standard set by uh, Department of Education. And then another thing is, um, what would be the, the resident in Wuhan or in China will do? Of course, they will not going to eat uh, wildlife animals because um, getting or consuming them would lead to another disease or viruses that could infect and be, of course, contagious. Okay. And we do not want to repeat this pandemic all over again, okay. And if I'm not mistaken, there is a um, movement, movement or future law that will prohibit them in consuming wildlife animals, okay. So they do that because of the fear, the fear of um getting this, okay. So that's why people will be, you know, um practicing behavior that could not lead to another pandemic or to sparing the wild uh, live animals in terms of killing and then eating them. Of course, you cannot eat all you know um, all things that are moving. Okay, so let's continue. So the 10th theory is the norm activation model. So from the word itself, okay, norm is being activation. But what type of norm, okay? So according to the theory, it's something to do with the personal norms, okay, reflecting feelings of moral obligation to perform or refrain from actions. So. Personal norms is the demarcation line between people who's practicing um, pro-environmental behavior and individuals who are not practicing pro-environmental behavior. So personal norms is of course subjective. It depends on the volition. It depends on the individual. Okay? And personal norms is let's say different from one person to another. Let's say for example, some people, their personal norms uh is in line with education. Some people it is in line with research. Some people it is in line with entertainment or let's say interpersonal or intrapersonal intelligence. Okay? So it depends. But in the context of um Environmental psychology, this is one of the factors that could differentiate individuals in terms of pro and just ignoring or, let's say, being apathetic with the issues pressing the environment. Okay? So, are you familiar with Leonardo DiCaprio? Try to visit his um, Instagram account, okay, or Greta Thunderberg or let's say, Antoinette Toss, Um, kindly notice their Instagram post and you're going to notice that they are very bold and let's say very convicted in terms of, you know, stating their advocacy in terms of um, protecting the environment. But there's some individual who's probably able to, you know, To be aware of the pressing issues right now. Okay? Did they know that the environment is deteriorating? It is being destroyed or affected by numerous factors, but they're not doing anything. And it's simply because that's not part of their personal norms. Okay? So, personal norms are activated by four factors. So, number one is problem awareness. That it's something to do with the cognition, a mental process, or awareness, okay, of the uh, adverse consequences of not acting pro-environmentally. So you're able to see the negative effects, okay, of not acting pro-environmentally. So this is the first, uh, one of the first uh, factors, and it's something to do with awareness. And of course, everything starts with awareness. And then right after awareness, of course, it will also influence your feeling, your attitudes, your emotions. And it's something to do with what? The ascription of responsibility. And not just that, but also we have what? The outcome efficacy. Outcome efficacy is your belief or let's say it's something to do with your opinion that you think, again, you think, which is mentally, your action will be effective in reducing environmental problems. Or there is something in you, okay, that could help the environment. It could be your ability. It could be your, let's say, personality. It could be your status, your rank, your influence, power, and then the likes. Okay? And then the last one is self-efficacy refers to the Extent to which the person recognizes one's own ability to provide relief to environmental threats. So, in this self efficacy, the individual is able to um, perceive that one's ability, okay, name it in all forms, okay, the individual knows what uh, exact ability to use and at the same time what amount. Okay, of that particular ability will be induced so that there will be relief in terms of environmental threats. So the individual has something to do with, let's say, self-confidence that I can do it with my ability. Okay, It could be your persuasion ability. It could be your uh, social skills, interpersonal skills. It could be, let's say, your talking skills, public speaking skills, and then et cetera, et cetera. So that at the end, you can help environment okay Uh, I still remember if you're going to hear um, the speech of Leonardo DiCaprio especially when he won the Oscar award for Revenant okay in the Oscars uh, you're able to see the the, you know the conviction okay and at the same time the uh, problem awareness and the ascription of responsibility in terms of taking care of the environment of course is able also to, to act on it that's that's what I really like okay you' you're aware okay you have let's say affinity with it but not just that you also believe that you can change okay you can inflict change and at the same time you can influence others to, to change and not just that you act okay you have this overt action that people will going to see that hey, I'm doing something for our environment, and do your part. And then the next one is the value belief norm theory of environmentalism, that is in a way connected with the uh, norm activation model, but the difference is that the value belief norm is is more connected with our value system. And then once again, value system as um exclusive to the personal view of the individual like personal norm. Okay? So once again it varies from one person to another. So it proposed that problem awareness depends on ecological worldviews and value orientations. So especially when you uh, grew up in a family that um things are let's say environment environmental okay uh, uh, you grew up in a family that uh, they have these values of waste segregation, okay, um let's say recycling, okay, let's say uh, volunteer into different, let's say, organizations that could help the environment, and then so on and so forth. Okay, this value belief norm will be also instigate to you. Okay. And then you'll able to grow up and this is one of your values. I still remember my my grandparent okay, my, uh, my lola, okay, if you're going to go to our house, our, our house is filled with trees, okay, different trees, and then um, vegetables, fruits, and then ornaments, okay? Um, and then it is because my, my lola believe that uh, that's probably good for the environment and at the same time for, you know, for the butterflies, for the bees, for the dragonflies, okay? And at the same time, it will reduce your stress and you'll be, let's say, uh, comfortable and cozy with your own home. And that value, of course, is being transferred, okay, to her uh, sons and daughters, okay? To my titos and titas, and not just that, but also it is uh, being conveyed to us. And that's probably one of our values, Okay, so if you're going to notice, um, many of my cousins and my titos titas are into business, connected with pots, with flowers, and then the likes. That is because it's part of our values and we're just going to, you know, to act on it. Because when you have your value system, okay, follows is that you're able to act on it. It could be overt or covert, okay? so. Also, this view suggests that egoistic values are negatively correlated, and altruistic and biospheric values are um, positively correlated to ecological worldviews. In other words, it states that young altruism and biospheric values, of course, it is connected with helping and at the same time preserving the environment, is totally positive correlated to ecological worldviews, which means if you possess altruism, which means helping others without expecting something in return, and biospheric values, which is taking care of the environment, okay, it is highly and positively correlated to ecological worldviews, which means when it increases, the altruistic and biospheric, okay, your ecological worldviews also enhance it, being enhanced. Okay. But egoistic values, egoistic values, it is something to do with um, centering on the self. Okay. The me, myself, and I. It is negatively correlated with the ecological worldviews, which is kindly, let's say, self explanatory and no brainer explanation. Of course, if you focus too much on yourself, how are you going to help others? And to be specific, how are you going to help the environment? So, once again, it's something to do with your value, which you believe, and then you're going to act on it as a personal norm. Okay? And then the next one is the goal framing theory. So, in a way, it's kind of connected with norm, activated model with personal norms, value belief norm, or your value system. This one, of course, it's also in the affect, it's your goal framing theory. This theory suggests the way people process information and acts upon it, okay? So, we have three types of goal. So, normative goal, the goal to behave appropriately, conforming to social norms, and legitimate rules. So, of course, you're going to take care of the environment because everyone is doing that, okay? It's part of the, the law. It's part of the rule. And if you're not going to do that, maybe you're able to experience, let's say, punishment. Okay, or probably you will be punished by the law. That's why you're going to abide. Or you just see that many people is doing that. Okay, and uh, your friends, your teachers teachers able to influence you and then the likes. Or there is an activity in the school. Okay, tree planting. Okay, you're going to clean up the, the coastal. Okay, and then the likes. So it's more on uh, just what you see. In, in the environment that is doing by a lot of people, and you're just subject to it. So it's something to do with the normative goal. The next one is the gain goal. Gain goal is the goal to maintain and improve one's resources. So once again, it's something to do for one, let's say, benefit. Okay? So, of course, if you want to improve one's resources, you're going to take care of the environment. Okay? Because if we're going to notice a lot of our resources came from the environment, it could be with our business, it could be with our physiological needs, okay, and then the likes. Especially right now, this pandemic, okay, one sources of you know of our food is planting. You can plant, let's say, tomatoes, okay, kangkong, okra, pecha, et etcetera, etc., etc. So that you can able to, to improve your resources. No need to, you know, go to the market or go to the, uh, let's say, places that are populous, which is, in a way, not not uh, perfect for this time. Okay, so that's something to do with gain goal. Okay, so you want to improve one's resources, therefore, you're going to um, take care of the environment. And then the last one is we have the hedonic goal, or in psychology, okay, when we say Hedonic, okay, or hedonist, you're a hedonist, which means you're what? A seeker of pleasure. Okay, so the goal to feel good right now. And in hedonic goal, of course, you're going to process information and act upon it based on your pleasure. Okay, uh, let's say, for example, uh, you're going to take care of, let's say, Boracay. There's a probably long preservation of uh, Boracay and then it's not open for let's say for public for numerous months. Okay? You're gonna let's say participate to that. You're gonna volunteer yourself because you know the place is a place that will uh, convey or stimulus for you to feel uh, let's say good. Okay? And then the lights. Or let's say the mere fact Helping the environment already produces a good feeling. And a good feeling, perhaps, is of course connected with the pleasure. The next one is the needs theory, and the proponent is Henry Murray. Now, this theory can be seen with a lot of fields in psychology. You can see this in developmental psychology. You, you can encounter this with a uh, psychological assessment. You will encounter Henry Murray with theories of personality and then uh, a lot of fields in, in, in psychology. And Henry Murray, the proponent of and uh, psychogenic needs. And at the same time, okay, um, he established a theory of systematized in terms of terms, motives, presses, and needs. Of course, we're not going to go deeper in terms of that, okay? But our main agenda in his theory is the word need especially with our primary needs. So what is our primary needs or what are? Okay, so we'd have what? Of course, we have oxygen, food, and water. And of course, these needs are, let's say, innate to us. And usually, we're going to take these needs to the environment. We can found this in the environment. Okay? Now, the next one, the secondary needs, okay, and then ambition needs, and then so on and so forth. In a way, they are connected but indirectly, okay? So I just um, encourage you to to read them for the sake of knowledge and then the likes. But our focus is none other than this, the primary needs that can we get from the environment, okay? So that's it. So, these are the 13 theories that we can connect with environmental psychology. Now, if you're going to notice, these um, theories are highly not created for environmental psychology. Okay? These theories are from uh, theories of personality, from social psychology, and from other fields okay, and other disciplines. They're not originally from environmental psychology. But these theories, okay, are being bent and navigate or let's say put in the context of environmental psychology so that we can apply, okay, and at the same time, we can familiarize ourselves with the interaction of behavior to environment and environment to behavior so that At the end of the day, we're able to, you know, to um, fulfill the goals of psychology, which is something to do with explaining and describing. And we can achieve that because of these theories. Okay. So once again, if you have questions, you can um, message me through Messenger and then or, or Instagram or whatever social platform that you want to communicate. And at the same time, okay, you're going to have your Recitation, okay. Virtual recitation. Of course, I'm trying my best to delimit um virtual cheating. So we have a peculiar setup. So our setup is that we're going to use not Discord this time. I guess a Discord could stimulate a virtual cheating. So again, we're going to change Discord to Google Meet. So what we're we going to do is that you're going to to log in in Google Meet by ten. Okay, so we're going to have it based on your surname alphabetically, okay, and then ten students you'll going to to be in the Google Meet, okay, and then right after that I'll going to give you a case, a scenario, and then the ten of you will going to answer it immediately, okay. So of course the answers are these 13 theories. So once again there'll be a case study or a scenario and then you're going to answer it based on these 13 theories. Of course okay your grade will reflect on your let's say correct answers. Okay? And then right after the 10 students you can assign out and then another 10 students and then so and so forth. Now I will going to use a lot of case studies so that um, you're not able, you know, to to give information to the next students or to other sections. So that we're going to limit uh, vir- uh, virtual cheating. Okay? So that at the end of the day, we're going to truly get the zest of your knowledge and application pertains to chapter so I guess that's it. And once again, just kindly read and reread and listen to the podcast so that you're able to familiarize yourself with this 13 theories. So that's it. And a blessed afternoon. Thank you.